0: Welcome into to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. It has been extremely hot uh, in the uh, Cincinnati, Ohio area the last, last week or so. Yes, the last couple of days, actually, I was out at Grand Park. They have a big huge massive uh, complex out in Indiana I was watching some players and it was fun connecting with with some you know different college coaches that we've even had on the podcast and uh, it was it was a really cool experience so if you haven't been out to Grand Park to watch some baseball check it out sometime it was a, it was a good time and good uh, good layout there I liked it on today's episode we have Brady Kirkpatrick Brady is currently the pitching coach at Florida Atlantic University. Previously, he was at Harvard University, um, and he talks a little bit about his own experience as a pitcher playing collegiately at University of Maryland. Um, really smart guy. He's doing some really cool stuff down in Florida Atlantic University. This past season was his first season, so it's, it was a fun episode. It was fun connecting with Brady. I'm excited to see what kind of things that they, uh, they have in store for the future down there. If you haven't already, please make sure to head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, leave a review. That is how this show continues to grow and grow is by word of mouth and by, you know, leaving a review and raking the show so that more and more people can find it. So if you haven't, please make sure to, to do that not uh doing any ads or anything like that right now so if you enjoy the episode if you feel like you got some value share it with somebody another coach parent player whoever it is and make sure to go onto iTunes and leave us a rating review ladies and gentlemen here is now my episode with Brady Kirkpatrick <laughs> All right, we know. welcome on Brady Kirkpatrick, who is the pitching coach at Florida Atlantic University. Brady, thanks for coming on the show today.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for having me, Patrick. Look forward so to it.
0: The, so the recruiting season is in uh, full go now, and it's, it's June. Um, um, what's it like now that you're out on the road recruiting – I mean, in the summertime, I mean, what's, are are you doing something every single day when regards to recruiting? Are you still able to, uh, you know, coach at all? Like what's kind of the landscape in the summertime for a division one college coach?
1: Yeah. I probably, I probably say you're doing something every single day. Um, If it's not out on the road watching games, it's prepping for tournaments. It's, you know, um, kind of digesting what you saw on previous weekend with, you know, the the guys you went out and saw and trying to maybe keep, you know, keep a schedule together of guys that you want to see throughout the summer, Um, especially these first couple weekends of being able to go out almost, you know, double checking some guys that are on our list, but also adding guys to our list. Um, You know, it's just getting names, maybe if it's guys that can come to our our prospect camps that we want to see more in person. Um, You know, we can work with them on the field during our prospect camps. So it's just trying to to identify some of the guys that we want to go after or that we've been currently on and kind of cross-checking them. Um, But yeah, it's usually something every single day. If it's not in the office, you know, on the computer uh, you know, we're lucky enough. There's enough baseball going around, you know, our area. We can just get in a car and go up to, you know, Palm beach, go up to Jupiter, go over to Fort Myers. Um, That makes it easy. But a lot of times it's, it's making sure that we're organized enough to we know what we're going and we know, you know, who we're going to see. And then also, now with the the transfer portal and you know us bringing in you know junior college players too, it's also you know we going out and watching a few summer league games as well, so it's not just high school guys that we're on now it's a it's a little bit more work on our end having to you know go look at you know college kids now, but it's it's a busy summer.
0: how do you identify players? Uh, who you want to look at in the transfer portal? I mean, I there's so I think I saw Kendall Rogers tweet out there's over 2,200 players in there now. So I mean, that that would take a lot of time to be able to decipher through all their statistics and like who would you want to go see? Like, do you do you have a system for that, or is it just word of mouth? Um, some of it's word
1: of mouth, or you know, we can see you know we have access to the portal, we can see what kids go in it, and a lot of times it's it's maybe kids that we've known. Um, from the past maybe they're Florida kids that went off and played somewhere else or if it's a, a player that we might have played against throughout the year um, we seen something on and then it also it, it circles back to what our needs are you know I think the the transfer portal and same thing with the junior college players it's it's not a long-term fix for us it's maybe a, a year-to-year need that we might need to go after so you know let's say we're going we might have someone drafted this year in the draft a little bit later this year. So that can kind of hurt us too, just because we don't have much room after it to, to make decisions or, or bring other kids in. So um, I, I'd say more that the transfer portal than anything is more just kind of a bandaid. Uh, you know, if something happens, someone gets hurt on our staff, someone leaves, um, you know, on our team, we can go in and, and grab a, a graduate transfer, you know, for a year, um, almost at that, that rental type player that we can bring in. But a lot of times, yeah, it's it's filtering through positions and looking at stats, but a lot of times it's, it's names popping up that we might have known um, from the recruiting process in high school or we might have seen them play in college.
0: Is it ever a red flag, though, when you see someone in the transfer portal? Because, I mean, I'm sure there's always a story as to why they're there.
1: Yeah, we, we definitely like to get into, you know, why they're in the transfer portal. Um, you know, I think it's a little bit more – we get into it with kids that have haven't graduated. Uh, The kids that graduated have have usually, you know, they've been there for four years. They graduated with their degree and maybe they want to get closer to home for their last year, or maybe something comes up Um, more along the lines of the kids that are getting in after their freshman, the sophomore year, a lot of it is for the playing time, not getting the playing time they want. Um, And then you run across some of them that just wasn't the right fit with, you know, being away from their being away from home, um, you know, being, on a different campus, maybe it wasn't something that they they expected, um, and I think especially how the ncaa work now with. Uh, the limitations on unofficial and official visits, especially at an early age, kids are committing to schools before they really even step foot on campus. Uh, so now they're then they're getting to campus and they're not really knowing what to expect, because um, they haven't gone through that process. So uh, sometimes it's the, the more of the younger kids in the portal. Um, you'd have to do a little bit more digging on, making sure some of the, the red flags don't pop up where they're going to come here for a year and not like it. Uh, but there is the only, though, the one-time exception to the transfer. So it's not like kids can go and transfer, you know, place to place every year.
0: Right. You mentioned uh, right before that, you guys had a, a prospect camp where you can actually work with the players. When is that? And I didn't know you were allowed to work with players at, at your at camps
1: yeah so we have um you know we have prospect camps we were going to run a, a junior college transfer one this summer just didn't get gain too much traction um, a lot of kids are playing summer ball but our high school prospect camps are, are really good it is uh, we have one next week um then we have a couple others throughout the summer um they provide us a, a really good opportunity because we can since we're, we're working them, it's there it's a paid camp kids can come in um and we, how we do it, we do a one-day camp where we're doing instructions, we're doing some showcase, and then we're playing games as well. Um, so it can be a long day, but um, it's a great opportunity for us to be, you know, we're in uniform, they're in uniform, on the field with them. Um, you know, it's if it's working with the pitchers in that bullpen setting, working with them on the game mound when they're playing, talking with them. Um, we have other college coaches that attend to help help work the camp um, from pretty much every level. So we have some. I think junior college from D3s and D2s from the area come as well. So um, if not, the players are not are you know, maybe D- Division one caliber or they want to explore different academic options. There's different options for them there. Um, so it provides, you know, us a, a really good opportunity to work one-on-one with some of these kids that we wouldn't be able to talk to uh, unless they, you know, reach out to us, they call us because um, they're younger. And then also in our camp, gives a good opportunity for us to showcase our facilities and our, our campus. You know, we do a campus tour um, within our camp. So, you know, besides juniors and seniors, we wouldn't be able to do that with with younger kids in high school um, if it wasn't a camp, if it wasn't a camp setting. Um, so it provides us a, a good opportunity to show some of those younger kids what our campus is like, what we're like on the field, some things they might not get if they, if they weren't there.
0: What's one of the things that when you watch um, um, younger pitchers, maybe specifically in high school, that uh, like the, the lowest hanging fruit outside of velocity? Like we I think everyone already knows that, you know, the harder you throw, the better. But like, what's something that, that you see um, a flaw maybe from a lot of young pitchers that uh, they don't necessarily work on enough or something that, you know, you know you're going to have to implement when they get to campus? I
1: think the huge thing, especially younger pitchers, is command command piece of it. Um, you know at a younger age, you get so caught up in velocity, and a lot of times the velocity comes as you get bigger and stronger. So if you don't have velocity and you want velocity, you want to try to throw with velocity. a lot of times you're overthrown and you're not you're not working on the command. So you know I'd to say, especially at a younger age is not trying to do too much on the velocity side of it. you know more command the pitches. You know, I personally think at an older age, velocity is easier to teach than command is to teach. Um, so, you know, if you have elite command as you get into college, it's, it's easier to gain one or two miles per hour, especially with all the technology out there, um, how advanced the strength and conditioning has become. You know, I think velocity is easy to gain. And you see everybody gain velocity these days, but it's, I think, the command piece at an early age. Um, also, I think it's athleticism. Um, the the piece of not just being a PO from a young age. You know, I like it when you see a guy on the mound, but then you go see him play shortstop, you go see him play outfield. I think that's gotten lost in a lot of it. Um, I think the specialization at an early age is hurting a lot of kids in their their development too. Um, you know, being able to go up on the mound and be an athlete up there and not having to, you know, throw every five days and then go sit in the dugout and not do anything, not swing a bat, not move. Um, so I think that's that's one of the the biggest things that I see uh, if you, if you have to point a finger out it'd be the athleticism overall of some of the, the you know the pitcher only but also the the lack of command at an early age.
0: What are some ways that you've been able to help pitchers improve their command? I think a lot of it's the mindset and I think a lot of it's
1: mindset and confidence um, you know if I asked some of our guys when they are when they hit a spot, when they throw a fastball and they're hitting on the outside corner, are you surprised that you hit that spot, right? Some guys will see the pitch called, you know, underneath the catcher's legs. Um, they'll be called in. They'll throw a fastball away and they have conviction and they know it's there. And then you have some guys that hit that spot and then have some sort of a little, you know, they're surprised a little bit in their mind, right? So how do we get to that point where they're not as surprised in their mind um, they're you know almost they're confident enough where they know where it's going. Um, I think that's the big mental hurdle for guys is having that confidence where they can see it and they can execute it. Um, I mean there's times where it, it sometimes it is mechanical. Um, you know maybe the arm's late, um, getting up to a spot, maybe you know our front side slaps in a little bit, we're flying open. so I definitely think there's a mechanical aspect to it. to um, you know kind of how we treat it is on an individual basis trying to, the first couple of weeks guys are on campus to try to gather much information of um, how they throw, what their body is moving, maybe some deficiencies um, in their mobility. Um, we like to do some range of motion testing to try to get a big picture of who they are as they picture before we really dive into any changes. Um, sometimes it's as simple as moving a finger you know, around on a ball that helps it be a lot more consistent in the zone. Sometimes it's, that you know, changing a whole lot that they've been doing their whole, you know, their whole career, their whole life of throwing. Um, and that takes a little bit more time. You know, that's, that takes a little bit more of a process to do. And there's not one way to do it. You just kind of have to almost trial and error as you do it, but also give yourself enough time to make, if it's a big change, make that change. It's just not going to happen overnight.
0: How many times when a player comes in as a recruit, maybe as a freshman, there's there's mechanical work that – you feel like needs to be improved for them to get time on the mound or at that time, are they already, you know, pretty much, you know, polished and just need to tweak a little bit, some things here or there? Well, we'd like to get to the the point where we don't have to do much with them.
1: (laughs) If we're, you know, if we're recruiting the right kids, we don't want to go out and recruit a kid to come in, that we're going to have to change around a whole bunch. Um, You know, and there's, there's, there's times that some of that stuff happens, you know, especially when kids start maturing and, they start getting to the weight room a lot more. Now they have a lot more power output that they, that are not used to pitching with. Um, So they get into positions that they're not used to being in and some of the mechanics start breaking down. Um, So, you know, if I think if we're recruiting the right kids and bringing the right kids in, we don't need to make massive changes. Um, I think it's, it's be small changes here and there to make them better. But I think, you know, if we're bringing kids in and changing them around a bunch, um, I don't think that's beneficial to us as a program, but also to them as as a kid, they've been thrown a certain way their, their whole life. Um, so trying to have to, to bring them in and change them is, I think that, um, that that gives out a message of, hey, we didn't like you who you were, um, so we're going to change you around. Yeah. Because not, not everybody's different. You know, if we had everybody on our staff thrown exactly the same way, we'd be probably pretty, you know, pretty difficult to hit. Um, so I, I think it's identifying what works well, what we think works well. And then along the way, there will be some mechanical changes we need to make based off of, you know, the, you know from them being 17 to 20 years old, their body's going to be changing. So the, their um, structure of their body will change. So they, their mechanics might change a bit as well.
0: What's your take on uh, inc- incorporating, you know, because I know you mentioned uh, how important confidence is and, and conviction and throwing strikes and helping improve that. How do you go about helping them improve that? I mean, I know some people get into meditation and, um, and, and that type of a thing. I don't know if, you know, is that too young still at the college level to get kids to focus on, on meditating and kind of the mental game?
1: No, no, I don't think there's a, a young enough age that they should be starting to do that. I think is. You know, when you start doing it with younger kids, it, it, are they taking it seriously? Are right, they yeah, really I, I guess it that's what I was it. referring to, yeah. Uh, but no, we do it with our guys, um, you know, especially our guys. We can only throw the ball a certain amount of time, you know, so if we can rehearse it in our in our, in our our mind, if we can see ourselves doing it over and over again. And I think the one of the biggest things on – you know, being able to improve on something is the having the confidence in it, and a lot of times the confidence comes with the preparation and being organized and on top of it. So I think if you have the preparation in place, if you have the organization in place, it's easy to go out there and compete. But if you don't, if you have the, you know, if you're doubting yourself of the preparation, doubting yourself of putting in enough work to get to that point, that's when it's very easy to lose confidence because you're not confident in the process of you yourself getting there. Um, but no, the meditation, I think is it, a big part of it, but not only just to the lay there and meditate, but it's also rehearsing um, situations, rehearsing outcomes. Um, if you can see, you know, we work with some of our guys have seen that maybe the last 10 feet of ball flight, what it looks like going into the catcher's glove. Um, so just small stuff like that, where we're breaking it up in pieces not just sitting there and thinking, okay, fastball away. I'm going to throw, I want to throw a fastball away, but actually what it really looks like um, and and how it looks like coming out of hand, how it looks like hitting the catcher's glove. So kind of just breaking it up in some of those pieces. um, I think it can benefit. It's not going to hurt. And, you know, we can only throw the ball a certain amount of time every day, but we can constantly rehearse it. You know, I tell some of our guys if we're sitting in our hotel room before a game and we're, you know, visualizing that, you know, that two strike slider going from strike to ball from them swinging over the top of it or running out of bat with it over and over again. And when we get on the mound the next day and that situation comes up, we might have not done it, you know, the, the previous day, but we rehearsed it, you know, 100, 200 times. Um, so I, I think subconsciously we're more likely to, to make it happen. because we, We've been there. We've been in that situation, um, either or not physically, but we've been at, in that situation mentally.
0: Yeah, I think the the visualization piece is is so critical um in sports and you know I wasn't a pitcher but I, I'm sure pitching just as much as hitting uh extremely important. How do you how do you go about trying to help pitchers kind of figure out what pitches that they need to be Need, needs to be in the repertoire, right? Fastball, slider, changeup. Is it just based on the movement of their f- fastball and then that's kind of the second and third pitch are based upon that? Or like, how do you go about trying to, I know slider, you know, everyone seems like throwing a slider nowadays. Do you want all your guys throwing sliders or how do you go about kind of helping them with that?
1: Um, yeah, I think it's individually based. You know, I think the, e- the slider is the easy one. It's a more grip and rip pitch. It's It's a high intensity pitch. Um, but you know, I think as as starting pitching, you need three pitches. Um, and if you're gonna be really good is is a fourth, uh, maybe it's a show fourth, but for starter pitching, it's you know it's fastball change up than either a slider or curveball. Um, I think good, really good starters have a bigger curveball that can kind of get get hitters off a, a smaller slider. Um, if we have a combination of that, it's be really good. But a lot of it is identifying kind of what works well. We do a lot of stuff with video. Um, where we can overlay the pitches and how they come to the plate, how hitters are seeing them. Um, and, you know, some guys have, you know, have that a lot of ride on their fastball, so it works up in the zone a lot more. Usually those are a lot more of uh, closer to a 12-6, um, you know, even, you know, like a 1-7 type, type curve balls where um, they have a lot more depth just because we're working that fastball in the, in the top of the zone a lot more. Um, so it's really just trying to sequence and almost pitch map of what pitches work well off each other. Um, some guys, it's the the two seam changeup. Some guys, it's the four seam changeup. I don't think hitters are good enough to pick up, you know, the difference between a two seam changeup and a four seam changeup, you know, especially if it's 10, eight to ten miles per hour different. Um, but we also get into the velocity of things. You know, straight changeups I think should be closer to 10, 10 off our fastball. Rather than if we have some sort of sink or a lot of run, a lot of movement to our change drive, it can be closer to that, you know, the seven to eight miles off just because it has a different planes to it. Um, so I think it's identifying all that stuff with our guys and what what pitches make, make them the best pitcher rather than, you know, it'd be nice to have everybody to have, you know, that old Clayton Kershaw curveball. Um, but not everybody can do it and it doesn't benefit everybody based on what they throw and how they throw. Um, so I think it's just trying to identify for relievers, you know, two pitches will work well off each other, what they can re- be really, really good at rather than being average at three coming out of the pen. they can be really good at two and the starters have to have that, you know, have to have that third pitch and possibly even a four.
0: Do you call the pitches during the game? I do.
1: Yep. I call the pitches. We use, um, we use the catcher as a, has a near in, um, i say them to him, but it's a constant communication throughout the game. You know, I give, um, I give all our guys the option to, um, we swipe, you know, plus and minus up and down to get to pitches. Um, and then we'll have conversations on them, um, of why we went to that. I just think at a college level where in the pros, yeah, there's 30 teams and you know exactly what, you know, Mike, Mike Trout's weaknesses, you know, you will be facing him every time, you know, every lineup one through nine of the guys, college baseball, you know, I, our guys probably don't even know who they're playing the following midweek game. You know, they don't. they don't know any about anything about their team sometimes you know the best player won't even be in the lineup um, so for them to work on schoolwork, you know getting to getting to the baseball everything that else they have to do with it they're not sitting on a plane going over scouting reports um they're going to class they're going to school um so i you know it's it's tough for us to think that you know maybe a catcher can remember what their seven hole hitter did the first pitch of the game you know, maybe two games ago. Um, so it's just, that's why, you know, I, I'm comfortable with doing it, calling the pitches, but it's a constant communication. There's times where the catcher will be like, Hey, he, he moved up in the box a little bit. Um, you know, he, he's moving around. Um, they have the best vantage point of what the hitter's doing and what might work. So we'll have conversations through it. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll call every pitch and then, You know, the the pitcher has the the opportunity to to change pitches. Um, They don't do it a whole often, but it's more discussion-based rather than, hey, this is what we're going. You know, we have a plan going into it. Um, So they're not surprised by, you know, the majority of the pitches that are being called.
0: Yeah, I I don't blame, I mean, any college coach for calling pitches. I mean, hell, your job's on the line, right? (laughs) And it's about winning, right? That's the difference between professional baseball, a lot in college baseball, especially the minor leagues. It's all about development, and and you know if you win, great. If you don't, and I mean anybody, everybody can say like, well, we want to win, but you're not really playing to win if you're told how many pitches each guy is throwing and where so and so sit in the lineup. So I definitely would be doing the same thing if I were you, calling all the pitches. Is it was this the first year that they used the earpiece, or did you guys have that last year too?
1: No, first year use the earpiece. Before it was a lot of it was done on wristbands. Um, you know, given numbers to the catchers and they would look in and do it. I think it's going uh, to continue to develop where you see the major, major league teams now having the little microphone in the hat that tells the pitcher what the catcher what to throw. I think that we'll, we might get to that point where from the dugout it it's put into the catchers and they can see it. Um, so I think it's going to constantly involve and I think it really helps our pace of play. You know, I, I'm, I'm a huge component on getting on that mound and. You know, trying to throw a pitch every 12 seconds, if we can get under that, great. Um, you know, especially if a hitter takes a bad swing, we want to get him in the box as quick as we can so he can't process what he just did wrong or what he saw. Um, and, a lot, and that's what the pitch calm and all that stuff is really sped up the game and been able to, for us to work at a much faster pace.
0: What do you think, what's your take on, on reviews? So I was at the uh, Michigan Oregon game uh, down with the Louisville regional not that long ago. Yeah. It drives me, it drives me nuts because, you know, you, I like the review, but there needs to be somebody watching the game. So like you put the headset on and it's a yes or no right away. right? Yeah. Instead of taking forever. I don't know. That's like a fan in me, I guess, pet peeve. Um, but I, I assume all over, I guess, everywhere that, all D one, you can review all games now, like all any play. Um, So conferences, they,
1: they did it specifically. um, There's, I want to say just a handful of conferences that had it during the regular season. Um, We didn't have it in conference USA. I don't think the PAC 12 had it. Um, I'm not sure if the big 10 had it or not in regular season, but then, you know, for conference tournaments uh, we had it. And then also every regional super regional world series will have it. Um, I think we're getting to that point. It's just, uh, the resources that, you know, some of the mid-major schools that might not have all the video, you know, it's, it's kind of productive. You only have one video angle from up top to do it. Um, but I, I think it's, it's a way it's, it's, I think it's helped. Um, especially there's been some really bad calls in, in in college baseball. And I think, especially at that highest level, when you have so much riding on a game, if they could do a little bit more to to get calls, right. Um, you know, I'm all, I'm all for, especially, you know, the reviews on the defense side. I, I know sometimes it takes a little longer. I think they can get a little bit better at the review process of it. Um, but, you know, I, I'm ai I'm am I'm a big fan of it. I think it, it helps, helps baseball and it, it makes, you know, less, um less coaches getting mad because now you have a yes or no, like you can just, okay, go review it rather than have a dog review it. Um, you know, it's, i think it's moved along and i think it'll continue to hopefully continue to speed up the process of doing it um get away from the five minute reviews where they can cut it down um
0: so are you a fan of the automated strike zone then
1: i am not no i'm not a fan of the automated strike zone i still believe that that's part of that's part of baseball and that's part of the game you know i i think that there should be ways to hold you know umpires accountable um you know are they seeing their reports of pitches that they called straight pitches um all that stuff i think there should be you know accountability on their end but i also think that you know if we're looking back at it and i do reports on try to keep reports on umpires of what umpire gives a little bit more off the plate than not um so you you, certain days you might oh we have you know joe behind the plate he gives you know, just a ball off, um, away to a right-handed hitter. Let's really work on that. So I think there's some strategy being played in it, but I think the the inconsistency in itself can be helped, um, by maybe, you know, creating a little bit of accountability on the, on the umpires thing. But I'm not saying is you have to, every pitch has to be in the zone, have to be right around it. I don't think, you know, if the automated strike zone. I don't think, I think that's, you know, takes away a little bit of the, you know, the personality of, of the game, but also, you know, some, t- t- uh, some strategy in the game, you know, yeah, the just,
0: human element. I I love the human element within yeah. the game. I think it's important to always keep that. What, what's something Brady that you learned um as a pitcher yourself? Cause I know you pitched, you know, you were at Maryland. We've talked about, we talked about that, you know, last week when we talked on the phone, what's something that you learned as a pitcher that has helped you as a coach coaching pitchers?
1: Um. Probably the the biggest thing is, um, you know, no one wants to go out there and, and fail, right? Everybody is, is wanting to succeed on the mound. And I think as a pitcher myself, um, is everybody kind of learns differently. Um, some guys, they perceive information differently. They learn. Um, some guys are visual learners. Some guys need to go still out there and do it. Myself was, I just needed to go do it uh, and do it in reps and, some guys need to see it first, see what it looks like, and then go do it. So I think um, having an understanding of that um, that part of it where, you know, finding the competitive guys that maybe learn learn the same way, but also understanding that everybody learns a little bit different. Um, so I think that would probably be a, a, big, a big aspect of it from what I learned when I was pitching. Sometimes I thought, oh, just go out and do it uh, where other guys kind of learned a little bit different than I did. Um, didn't really notice it then, uh, but as I kind of step back and start coaching, uh, it's something that I've, I've really noticed.
0: What What's a way that you help uh, players kind of understand it and, and grasp what you want them? To do like on the field like for example on the on the hitting side I like to use a lot of visuals you know video just because humans it's easier for them I feel like to be able to connect the dots if they're can visually see something uh, is that something you utilize too when when trying to get players to make some sort of change
1: yeah no I think it's the, the visual piece of it's big um, a lot of guys are now are a lot more visual learners just because you know they're constantly looking at their phone constantly looking at you know, different, you know, watching baseball games so they can see it happen before they're out there doing it. Um, so I think it's, it's for us, it's just understanding of how each guy learns to start off, like having that, that dialogue of communication where, you know, X player, you know, needs to see it first. So maybe it's saying, you know, I'm pulling something off the pitching ninja, you know, Dropbox to showing them grips, you know, like, Hey, these are some a few grips, let's try some of these out. And then it's other guys where, Um, you know, a few of our pitchers are big field pitchers, so they need to feel it happen first, um, before they can really make the change. So it's trying to identify what type of pitcher learns in certain ways. Um, but a lot of it, yeah, is visual. We need to kind of show them what it looks like, how it's supposed to look like, and then, you know, have them do it, have them fail at it. Um, so they know what it feels like not to do it. And then as they get moving forward, maybe they feel that less and less. Um, That's kind of how we go about when we start to develop a pitch, develop something that is, okay, we feel what it feels like when it's really good. Let's get that feeling more and more. And then let's try to feel like, let's understand when it doesn't happen, when it works, you know, not what we want to work on. Um, Let's know what that feels like so we can have that feeling less and less. Um, So I think when that stuff starts coming
0: up, that's when some change can be made. Do you have your guys write that down so they, they can remember what it feels like when they do it right, and then when they do it wrong too? Just I mean, yeah, like we we'll said- have a
1: write, we'll have a write down, but also we'll do video, and then we'll try to capture you know the data. Like we'll have the rap photo out there every bullpen, so we literally work on a pitch one day, and it feels really good. We'll have a video of how it's coming off the hand. Um, we use the Edgertronic camera, so it's the super slow mo camera, so we can see exactly how it's coming off. Dangerous how we're holding the ball. And then also we have the metrics right there to back it up. So if we're in season or something comes up where that pitch isn't where we want it or it's not where it used to be, we can jump back into that stuff like, oh, hey, look at our our spin decreased this much. Or it looks like we're holding the ball a little bit different coming off this finger rather than it was coming off the other finger. Um, So, it's yeah, it's a lot of that stuff, when stuff is going right, is we try to gather everything, bring it all in, write it down. Just so we can go back to it if something comes up or something's not feeling right.
0: We were just talking about how, how players learn differently from each other and, and you talked about that yourself as a player. Do you utilize uh, personality tests at all when, and trying to understand how how your players learn and think and, and, and kind of their more of their background information? I haven't done any of the personality tests. Um, there's some different stuff I did when I was at Harvard
1: that, that kind of did that a little bit um, to see how they how they learn, how they interact. Um, but going off that, I think a big part of it is trying to match up players with other players that learn in similar ways. Um, you know, I I can tell a pitcher how to throw a certain pitch, how I threw it, right? But if it, that that might not work for him. It might be he might get information from somebody else i know i remember playing summer ball one year and you know for the last year i really worked on trying to throw a slider and nothing really clicked on me i went and played summer ball you know and there we had a left-handed pitcher that threw a really good slider and he showed me how he did it and that clicked for me um so it's just understanding there's not one certain way or one certain voice that can do it it's just surround yourself with i think it's good people but also good players you know try to be around players that um do it well and do it often. Um, you know, and I remember when I played, I would always talk to some of our best hitters, some of our best base runners. Hey, when you're at first base and you want to steal, what don't like, what don't, what don't you like, you know, do you not like the long hold? Do you don't like sitting there for a while? Like what gets you uncomfortable when you're there? So a lot of it was, was kind of feeding, you know, different information off each other, bouncing off each other, just constantly wanting to learn and almost be immersed in in baseball um, I thought that was huge for my development when I was there, but even now is putting kids in that environment as, most, as much, as you can, you know, when you're on the field, it's talking baseball, talking different situations, not just telling them, Hey, you have to do this, you have to do that is letting them learn from themselves and understand situations, having the pitcher understand when the hitter might run on the base, what are the action counts, stuff like that can make them, you know, almost a, a complete pitcher, but also just understand what's, what's going on.
0: Yeah, yes, that's great advice right there of immersing yourself uh, surrounded by people who are kind of who are like you and think like you and um yeah, that's I'm really glad you shared that. Going back to the base running right there, what have you done or what have you been able to do when it comes to like the jump steal? Like are our guys doing that in college because I know in professional baseball, you know, guys who with the shorter lead and then try to get a, a small small jump and then Goat steal. And then if they don't get it, they just hop right back. Do you see that? And if you do, what, what remedies do you have for, for your pitchers to try to combat that?
1: Yeah, we see it um, not as much anymore as we did when we started. Um, we have, we have some pretty good things in place where that prevents it um, just small things like if we on video, there's so much video out there now where we can see, Hey, this team, they like to do the vault leads where they'll try to time it up and, and they just step or, or jump off. And then, you know, we'll put a, a pick in where as soon as the catcher sees that, he drops his glove and we pick the guy off at of first base. So um, it worked a lot for us this last year when guys get really aggressive. We have plays in, in place to combat that. And especially in college baseball, and especially the, the way the ball is flying, especially this last year, um, no one wanted to run into outs. So, uh, you know, the start of the, this last year, we picked off uh, four or five guys. Um in the first, you know, three, four weekends. Um, so almost a guy, maybe two every weekend.
0: And then after that,
1: it got on the scouting report or it got on video and guys got on base and they don't want to run anymore. Um, our catcher throws really, really well, but also they don't want to run into an out just because they're sitting sitting there, you know, a pitch away from a two run, three run home run, um, just like that. So it's, I think the college is getting a little bit closer to that pro, pro style baseball where they don't, they don't run as much. They don't bunt as much. Um, I think that's a lot of the that's due to the way the balls were flying and, and how many home runs were hit this year. You
0: think they're going to change the balls for next year? Um,
1: I don't know. You know, I, I look at it and I think so. About three weeks ago, I looked into just some some stats, um, and I think it was in 2014 the 50th best ERA in college baseball um, would be the second best this year um so there's there's been a big there's been a big change i don't know what it is and that was still the you know the new bats is it wasn't like that was the old bats then i know the balls have changed since then um you know you can definitely feel the changes and the laces got smaller they're more like a professional minor league baseball um but i don't know if it's the you know the bats being made a little bit differently now but there's definitely something there um you know i i think Part of that is now we can, like I talked about earlier, the umpires are now seeing, and it's all over Twitter of bad calls. So I think the zones are getting a little smaller for the pitchers. Um, you know, I don't think the high strike is getting as called as much, um, definitely as much as it does in MLB. So I think that adds to it. But I definitely think there's something when you can look and you can see that that drastic change in um, stats. You know, I, I remember when. I think it was 2013 when I think UCLA was hitting 250 and they made the the World Series. I think they won it um, just because they were allowing, you know, one, two runs a game. Um, so, you know, I don't think we're in in that type of baseball anymore. It yeah. used to be the best teams that maybe got to Omaha could really hit, maybe one or two of them could really, really hit, hit their way there, but they never had a chance. at It was the teams that could pitch and play defense that took over, and I think you're starting to see the other side of that now.
0: Yeah, that's a interesting stat you brought up there. I mean 50 cheese, I mean 50th best ERA would be the second best 2014. I mean that's that's not close. Like right? if it was like 10 to 2 or 20 to 2, that'd be one thing, but man that is uh that's yeah. drastic. And some of the home runs that I've seen this year just go into four or five games. I mean some of these balls are opposite field just bombs that, No, uh, it's making a it makes the one good thing about it though, Patrick,
1: it makes uh you know my my college stats look a little bit better, <laughs> you know, just because everybody's it's almost that inflation going on right now with everybody it makes mine work worse
0: though as a hitter. Yeah,
1: yeah, no. The hitters, <laughs> the hitters not so much. You only hit five home runs when you look on everybody everybody's right. team now, and they have someone with 20, you know, double digit home runs. It's just, it's crazy.
0: When you're when you're out recruiting, watching pitchers. This is because this is a question I, I was thinking of when I was out at the Big Ten tournament a couple of weekends ago. You know, there, there's this huge obsession with velocity right now where it's like, man, if you don't throw 95, like you can't play D1 baseball or whatever it is. And it's like I'm at the Big Ten tournament. I think I saw the highest pitch the entire week was 92. And but all these guys are throwing strikes. They got a good slider. They I mean, they, they're good pitch ability, all that stuff. So when you're out watching pitchers, how much of it is them just looking the part of of being projectable. And then on top of that, maybe they have some velocity and then command too. So maybe they're 86 to 88, but they're projectable and they can command the ball versus just trying to throw 94, 95. And I just don't see a ton of that in in the college game.
1: Yeah, no, it's um, I think it's, the velocity used to really catch everybody's eye, but nowadays everybody throws 90. If you're not at 90, you'll get to 90 at some point in your career. Um, So I I think it's a fine line between some of the guys now that are 95 to 97. Okay, you can take chances on them if they're not completely in the zone, but it's those guys that are upper 80s to 90s have to really be able to command the zone, throw a lot of strikes. And I think those are the guys that are having success in college. And then a lot of times those guys in college will go up to the big leagues and start throwing harder and harder you know i think it's from the, the specialized training that they're doing but I, I definitely think the command piece of it it comes first and that's what you know the best pitchers in college have are, are walking the least amount of hitters you know and then you get some of the arms like you had on tennessee who had elite command and could also had you know elite elite stuff you know to throw the ball in mid-90s and that's when you see, you know, striking out close to two guys an inning. Um, you know, it's you start to see that, the dominance of it. Um, for me, and I think college baseball is in, in the same way, is much rather go down with a guy that's throwing it over the plate than a guy that's spraying it all over the place. Like that, That works in college so much more. You can have success in the college if you can put it over the plate, even if you have average stuff. You might not have, you know, those magical years or, you know, play a long time, but you'll have a good college career.
0: How important is is body type to you when you're evaluating the pitcher?
1: Um, I think that, I mean, I think it's really important. I think the body type, but also the, the movements of the body. You know, I think you can be a bigger kid. You can be maybe a little bit out of shape, but if your body moves really well, then you at least you have a, a baseline to work with. Um, I think if you're athletic enough, it's easier for you to make adjustments if you need to, but also, you know, if you need to clean up your body, if you need to get stronger, I think you fall into a pattern where you have a guy that can't move well at all when he's a little bit bigger, and then you try to get him in really good shape. A lot of times his body starts breaking down because it can't handle it. it doesn't have the athleticism to handle the changes. Um, and I think there's some guys that, you know, you can see it in the MLB, MLB. They don't have great bodies, and they still have a lot of success. You know, there's someone some, some guys just have a knack for getting guys out. Um, so I think that, that has to go into it as well. I mean, it'd be nice to have the old, you know, Stanford, to Rice, um, you know, the Texas, you know, kids back in the day, like in, in the nineties to early two thousands that were all six, four, six, five, and, you know, just put together going out there. I remember watching those guys at the college Road series, but, um, not everybody can have those. And, um, I think it's, it's finding guys that can really compete and really play the game of baseball and love to play the game of baseball that have the most success, you know, just gamers that will make sacrifices in their daily life because of baseball Um, I I see those type of kids taking the next level and if it is a a kid that might not have the best body but he has everything else um, he's gonna go a long ways and he's the guy that you you're gonna want on the mound rather than the guy that looks the part that doesn't really like baseball or doesn't really have it figured out
0: how many times do you watch a player before you're like, okay, I'm in? Because you mentioned right there, part of it is just loving the game. And I, and I assume that you could go to a game if a kid does great, he's going to seem like he loves the game, right? Because he's, he's having a, a great game, great outing, yep. everyone's happy. So is there a certain amount of times on average you watch a kid before you're like, okay, I'm in, let's make him an offer?
1: Um, there's sometimes. Sometimes we'll see a kid three, four times, try to get to know him. And then there's sometimes, you know, The other day I was out watching a game, I saw a kid, I was like, all right, let's do it. Like, if we wait, he's going to be gone, he's going to be somewhere else. Like, that's what I think has a lot of success at college level, and that's what I kind of want to work with. So there's times like that, um, but there is times, majority of it is seeing a guy multiple times, um, getting to know him, kind of finding out what clicks with him, you know, what's his if factor, what makes him go, um, what he's going to be like in the locker room, what he's going to be like when he's on the field with our guys. Um, I tell, you know, I tell recruits all the time, tell parents all the time is, you know, we can, we can miss on the best player, you know, let me say we miss on a really good player and he goes in place for, you know, FIU or rice, um, you know, he might come and, you know, he might beat us one time in a weekend. But if we bring the wrong player in the locker room, he's gonna beat us every single day. Mm. Right. So we, we can we can walk away from really really good talent if we don't think it's a good fit with our personalities or the rest of our team, and he'll go play somewhere and he might have a lot of success somewhere and he might come in and he might pitch on Friday night and beat us that one game, but if we bring that wrong kid in the locker room, it's going to be every single day when we're at practice. It's going to hurt the culture. It's going to hurt you know the 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 program that Coach uh, McCormack has put together here and the culture and the winning traditions. You know it can take away from all that.
0: Awesome. Brady, appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a lot of fun. I'm jealous you're, you're down in Florida. Well, maybe not jealous this time of year, but in the wintertime for sure, I'm, I'm going to be very jealous of you. But uh, again, man, I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, Patrick, thank you. I appreciate you having me on here.